Our scripture today comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 19. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you. For you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. Now Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land and in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat appointed certain Levites as priests and heads of families of Israel to give judgment for the Lord and to decide disputed cases. They had their seat at Jerusalem, and he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with your whole heart. Whenever a case comes to you from the brothers who live in their cities concerning bloodshed, law or commandment, statute or rules, then you shall warn them that they may not incur guilt before the Lord and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will not incur guilt. And behold, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the governor of the house of Judah, in all the king's matters, and the Levites will serve you as officers. Deal courageously, and may the Lord be with the upright. This is the word of our Lord. And Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be in your house this morning. We pray that our praise to you was a fragrant offering and that you would receive it this morning as we humble ourselves to hear from your word. I pray that you would continue to soften our hearts and shape us into who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, we're jumping in to a uh, continuing, actually, in a series called Hope that if you've been online the last few weeks, you know that Jerry has been going through um, this series of messages last few weeks in 2 Chronicles, and that's where we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 19, and it's the idea this morning that we have hope in God because God is a just God. We, um, we are to live and, and lead according to God's justice, but we have ultimate hope because God is a just God. I want to share a story that many of you will maybe think less of me after I share this, and others of you will think, you know what, that makes me feel better because I've done the same thing, and every parent in this room will most likely understand what I'm saying. But every single week I do something, every single day, uh, Whitney and I do something that is probably not the most just thing. We actually bribe someone every single day. And who we bribe is this 
um, fellow by the name of Lucas who's about that tall, all right? So he's about that big, and he's our two-year-old, and we bribe him to eat. Has any parent ever done that? Raise your hand and make me feel better. Thank you. Okay, good, good, good. I, I am in. Good come. We bribe him to eat. Here's why. Because he wants to eat if he gets to watch his favorite show called Blaze. It's a monster truck show. Never heard of it. Honestly, think it's quite boring, but it's a monster truck show called Blaze, and he can't say his L's really well, so it's actually kind of cute whenever he says this, but he'll, we'll sit him in his high chair, and he'll say, watch Blaze, watch Blaze, and I'm like, hey, buddy, you get to watch Blaze if you eat a couple of bites, and we'll begin to feed him, and, and he'll take a few bites, and, and he'll, he'll say, Watch Blaze, and we'll say a couple more bites. And there's a moment, you just got to find that moment to where he's not going to eat anymore. And we give him the iPad. It's an old iPad. It's cracked right down the middle. Give him this old iPad. And here's what he'll do. Here's what he'll do. We'll give him the iPad. He will watch, and he takes a spoon, and he kind of holds it. You're supposed to hold a spoon this way. He holds it this way. And he'll just do this, watching the show. Just do that. And you can feed him SpaghettiOs, chicken nuggets, Dog food. I'm just kidding. We haven't done that just yet. Um, just yet, like we're actually going to. We've not done that. Um, but you can feed him anything, and he would just continue to eat because we have told him if you, we'll let you watch Blaze if you eat. Right? That's that's bribery. It's it's not anything that's going to harm anybody. As a matter of fact, most of you who have kids are like, yeah, we've had to do that, or maybe still do. But typically, when we think of bribery. Or we think of someone bribing someone else, it is, it is someone who has done something wrong and then they get out of it because they have something that someone else wants. Here's what I mean. We see a high-profile athlete or, or a high-profile actor or actress and they get in trouble with the law. We often have seen where they can, can get out of what they've done because, maybe not get out, but have a punishment that's not quite as severe and we all have this feeling of they did that because they had money, they had wealth, they had power, they had influence where they could get out of this. If you're like me, that bothers us. That bothers me. And the reason why that does is because we have this natural sense of injustice. God has created us and given us this natural sense of, of justice and injustice. And, and what happens is we see someone take a bribe or be bribed and that bothers us. Because God is a God who is completely just. As a matter of fact, we would say that God always acts according to what is right, and he is the final standard of what is right. God always acts according to what is right. And as a matter of fact, God is the final standard of what is right. If you listen to last week's message, or, or, or even if you haven't, I'll give you a little recap. You had a king named Ahab who did not live according to this truth. Ahab was a king who only listened to, to what he liked to hear. So people would tell him things and, and he would only listen to his prophets whom he liked what they told him. So he wouldn't listen to people telling him the truth. He wouldn't listen to truth. And what ended up happening is the judicial system in Israel's time was corrupt and it was tainted with bribery. And just like maybe today, if you have influence, wealth, or power, you could get out of something that you Get out of a crime that you had committed. But now in our passage in 2 Chronicles 19, we see Jehoshaphat coming in to set up a new system to create reform, which will establish God's idea of justice to his people. 
As a matter of fact, Jehoshaphat has a prophet who speaks on behalf of God in the first part of 2 Chronicles 19. And he, he says, Jehoshaphat, you seek after what God desires. You seek after what God desires. Jehoshaphat has a heart that's set on God, set on seeking God. Before we move on in this, in this message, I, I must say that if we're going to lead, if we're going to serve, if we're going to lead our families, if we're going to lead our groups, if you're going to have influence over people the way God would have you influence them, it's because your heart is set on God. Paul said it in, in, in Colossians 3. He said, seek what's above, set your mind on what is above where Christ is. That's our starting point. As the people of God, our focus must be on being who God has called us to be. And Jehoshaphat's personal desire to seek after God caused him to establish reform for those people whom he led. So the first truth this morning, if we're going to lead and judge as God would have us do, we must judge fearfully. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem. That was the cultural and, and, and political hub city of his time, but his kingdom spanned beyond Jerusalem. Matter of fact, the text says all the way north to Ephraim and south to Beersheba, and Jehoshaphat went out among his people. Now picture that for a moment. Typically kings, if they want to talk to their people, they have their people come to them. But Jehoshaphat wants to establish this new reform, and he goes out among his people to bring them back to the Lord. Jehoshaphat goes out to bring them back to the God of their fathers. He goes to where he has influence. We, we, we must, in a day where, where social media reigns, our post, we think, capture so much attention and we want to post things online that we want other people to see, we must realize this basic principle. We have a circle of influence, and those are the people that, that we can influence. That's our, our family, those friends that are closest to us, those people that maybe work for you. That's your circle of influence. And then you have a circle of concern. And that circle of concern are those people that we really can't change what's going on out there, no matter what the news is saying, no matter what social media is saying. We can't change those things, but often we spend much of our time in the circle of concern when we should spend most of our time with those people we can actually influence. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. He didn't take his reforms all over the world. He took his reforms to the people whom he had influence over, and he wants those he loves to embrace God the same way he had, so he begins this process of bringing them back to the God of their fathers. Brings us to, to a, a point we've got to know before we can bring anybody else back to God, we must first come back ourselves. If we're going to bring someone back to God, we must first come back ourselves. If you're going to be used by God to bring others back, you've got to be chasing and seeking after God. So how did Jehoshaphat do this? How did he Bring people back to God. In verse 6, it says he appointed judges. He appointed judges. He appointed leaders to, to decide matters, to guide these people. And look at what he told them in verse 6. He says, consider what you do. He said, if you're going to lead and you're going to lead my people and you're going to judge my people, consider what you do. Consider your way of life first, for you judge not for man, but for who? The Lord. 
You judge not for man, but for the Lord. Jehoshaphat saying, you, you aren't doing the work of men. Rather, you are doing the work of God. You're not judging on man's account. You're judging on account of God out of a fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. We, we don't need to look at that term and think of being afraid of God, though God is someone who, who is so much more powerful and greater than we are. It's this idea of this respect and awe because God is so much more powerful and greater than we are. He says, you must lead, you must guide, you must judge out of a fear of the Lord. This means that when he was telling his people, when you're settling disputes among people, you're not doing it just to solve a problem. You are settling a dispute ultimately to point people back to the God of their fathers. You know what this means? If we're gonna judge and we're gonna lead and we're gonna serve and we're gonna live our lives out of, out of a fear of the Lord, we can't live it out of a fear of man. This, this, this takes away any idea of people pleasing or, or pandering to what the popular opinion may be. If you're, gonna, if you're in here, this room this morning and you're a life group leader, you need to lead your group for God and toward God. If you're in here and you have a family, you lead your family for God and toward God. If you lead a business, you lead those who work for you for God, toward God, not for man. And you know, when you do this, this passage says that God is working in you and through you because he's working with you as you do that. So judge fearfully. The second thing Jehoshaphat does is set up this reform to where they're to judge fairly. Look at verse seven. Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. We see the term fear of the Lord again with just this undergirding idea of we do what we do out of this respect and awe of who God is. We're to lead, serve, and judge fairly because that's how God does it, and that's who God is. It says there's no injustice, there's no partiality, there's no bribery with God. If God judged matters then by bribery, then only the smartest, best, or well-dressed people would, would succeed. But, but God doesn't do that because partiality is showing favorites. God doesn't choose favorites. He doesn't need money, so he can't be bribed by money. He doesn't need power or influence because he's got it all. So those things aren't going to affect him. The New Testament has much to say about this. James, brother of Jesus, says this in, in James 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, God, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here at a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. James right here is emphatically clear that we don't just not show partiality because it's not nice. No, James says if you do this and we show partiality to people because of what they're wearing, because of what they look like, because of, of the influence and, and wealth they have, if we do that, James calls this sin. He doesn't say, hey, just don't do that. Don't worry about it today. He says, if you do that, you are sinning. i tell you where I saw um, partiality play out the most. I was in sixth grade. And I, I, was, I played baseball in sixth grade. And I played all throughout elementary school, but I, but I played in sixth grade. And when I did, um, we, we, had a, we had a team of other sixth graders. And there was only two guys who could, who could pitch. 
And I wasn't, I wasn't a great baseball player, so I'm not going to stand up here and act like I was. I, I usually played third base or shortstop, but I was like the, the other guy who could actually pitch. Here's the thing. Before every single game, um, the coach would say, all right, Adrian, go out there and warm up. So I would go, and I, I would go through the whole, you know, just, you know, and just, just, just bring it. You know, not really. I was, just, I was just throwing the ball, but I was accurate, and I was pretty good. Well, then as soon as we would come in from warming up and the lineup would be made, I would then be on third base, and you know who would go to the pitcher's mound? The coach's son. I think I heard somebody say that. Yes, and you know what would happen when he would pitch? Bombs just fly out of the park, okay? I'm talking about his fastball would look like this. And then we won zero games that year, all right? I think the first time that that happened, I think in the fourth inning, we were down 21 to nothing. And the coach said, Adrian, will you go pitch now? And I said, no. As a sixth grade kid, I stood my ground. I was like, what's the point now? You know, I'll play third base. I'll do whatever you need me to do, but I'm not going to the pitcher's mound. I didn't pitch all season. And maybe I'm still bitter about it. I don't know, but I didn't pitch all season. I can feel my blood boiling right now, you know. I, I, I didn't pitch all season. And here's the thing. We won zero. Even the team, I don't even remember where they were from, uh, somewhere in the county. They were the team that everybody beat, and we still lost to them, all right? Like, we lost to them. Here's the thing. What bothered me not was that I should be the guy who's pitching. No, what bothered me is that everybody on the team realized that the only reason that kid was pitching was because his dad was the coach, and he should have never been. He was good at other positions, but he shouldn't have been there, and we lost games because of that. Here's the thing. That was partiality at its finest. I'm going to have my kid, I'm going to have him play the position that's going to touch the baseball more time than anybody else, even though we have other players who might be better. That's, that's showing partiality. And, and what would bother me and what bothered the other guys is that we had the sense, and that's not fair. Just because he's your son doesn't mean that he should be the one who gets to play that position. So even as a sixth-grade kid, there was this sense in me that said, that's not fair. That's not how that should be. I don't like that. You see, the thing is, we, we can view justice and realize that, that, that though we want something to happen, our world and our sense of justice is marred by sin. And what happened is that when our world is marred by sin and our sense of justice is marred by sin, then we don't actually know how to handle certain situations. Just look at when someone commits a crime and there are multiple ways that they can be punished. There's no right or wrong way to do anything, and if there were, then we wouldn't argue about it. The only, way, the only one who knows what way is fair is God, and, and if we are to judge fairly, then we must understand what fair is according to God's standards. What is fair is that we are sinners condemned to have no chance in this world because we are the ones who... who have chosen to sin. What's fair is that none of us receive forgiveness and salvation, but what is unfair is that God would send his own son who is sinless and spotless to die for us who have committed sin. That is unfair, but God would do it out of love for me and you. So you might be wondering what the application is for this. Here it is. When you understand the fairness of grace in your life, your perception of fairness for others will change. When you understand the fairness of grace in your life, your perception of fairness for others will change. If your view of fair has anything to do with your own merit, you're not reflecting on the gospel because fairness is God's idea. He created fair. He has the sense of fairness so how do we lead and serve fairly? 
How do we lead and serve our family, our business, those we have influence over? How do we do that fairly without allowing someone, someone's position to affect your decision-making? That person has a decision, has a position, and because their position is higher, you allow it to affect your decision-making, even though what they're telling you to do may not be right. How do you, how do you live and lead fairly without allowing someone's voice to shift your correct view because their voice is just a little louder? How do you lead and serve fairly without thinking of your own personal gain when making decisions that you know are important? That's how you do it fairly and without showing partiality. And ultimately, that drives us to our third truth, which is judge with integrity. Judge with integrity. Jehoshaphat's back in Jerusalem, and he's continuing to establish his reform. And he has other leaders that he had to set up because there are leaders at, the, at, at a certain level in a city that didn't know the decision that should be made. So he set up an appeals court back in Jerusalem. And listen to what he charged these people in Jerusalem to do. He says, I want you to warn them. When you give judgment, I want you to warn them. The word warn means to teach and to guide and to give instruction as to what is right. You teach, you guide, you give instruction as to what is right. And how are you supposed to do that? Obviously, fearfully, with a fear of God, fairly, with no partiality. But look at verse 9. He says, warn people, but in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness, and with your whole heart. He says, with your whole heart. This, your whole heart is your inner being. It's who you really are. Your whole heart is who you are when no one is watching you. I've heard integrity described, explained as, as who you are when no one is watching, or, or integrity can also be you're the same everywhere. You don't change based on who is around. We lead, we guide, we judge, we warn our families, people we work, that work for us. We do that out of a fear of the Lord with all integrity. Look at what Samuel the Lord said to Samuel, and Samuel is trying to pick out a king. He said, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? The heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Jehoshaphat is saying, lead, guide, judge, teach people with integrity because you yourselves are actually following the way of the Lord that you're teaching. We lead God's way when our heart is following the way of God. We lead God's way when our heart is following the way of God, which means we can't lead others to do what we're unwilling to do. We lead God's way when we're actually following the way of God. Therefore, we can actually lead people with integrity and we can judge matters with integrity. We can settle disputes with integrity because we are living out what we're telling someone. It's like if you've ever been given directions by someone and you ask for directions, and that person tells you, hey, I think it's down there a couple miles, take a right, I don't remember the name of the road, and maybe then you take a left, and then you kind of go on up the road somewhere. You're just as confused because you don't really think they know where they're going. But if you ask Dave Snyder for directions, guess what's going to happen? He's going to take you there, and you trust every single bit. Even if he gets you lost, you still trust him, right? Like you trust every single bit because he knows where he is going. There's not this sense of, ah, he might know. Does he really believe what he's saying? No, he believes what he's saying. Therefore, I can follow him. We can't lead others to do what we are unwilling to do. 
When we follow the ways of God, Jehoshaphat looks at the end of this chapter and he says, if we're going to do this, if we're going to lead with integrity, if we're going to, to, to judge fairly and judge fearfully, you know what it's going to take? Look at verse 11, the very last sentence, deal courageously and may the Lord be with the upright. If we're going to, to judge, to lead, to guide, and to teach our kids God's way, in 2020, it's going to take courage. When the world is painting a picture for them on social media of what the world wants them to see is right, if we're going to lead and judge God's way, it's going to take courage. If you're going to lead your business with all integrity, at times it's going to take courage. If you're going to lead people in a group that you lead, when those people push back at your leading, guess what? It's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. But according to verse 10, when you're leading your circle of influence, you must call out the corrections that need to be made because if you don't, this says that we incur the same guilt upon us that they have on them. It's easy to, to talk to somebody else and say, I don't know why they do that, or I don't know why they're doing that, or I don't know why they act like that, or I don't know why they're that way. If you have influence over them, don't talk about them to someone else when the Bible clearly says you need to go to them and speak to them. We can't say, I don't know why they wouldn't, or I don't know why they're not, if we're not looking at them and saying, listen, I don't know why you are, and I think you should. The Bible says warn, which means to teach and and God, so part of judging with integrity is stepping up courageously to judge and to lead the right way even when it scares you. And I've said this, and I, I just I, I can't get over this idea that if we're going to lead in 2020 and we're going to lead our families and we're going to lead students and we're going to lead our businesses and we're going to lead, if we're going to lead God's way and we're going to judge matters God's way in 2020, we're, it's going to take courage. Because there's going to be sometimes that people 100% disagree with you, and you've got to stand by that if you believe that is what God has called you to do. Ultimately, we, we see this, if we go back to verse 4, we begin to get this idea of who did this the best. Look at what it says in verse 4. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem, and he went out among the people. Even when he was a king, he went out among his people to set up a reform. And even though it likely scared him because he told these people, don't let it scare you, guess what? It, it, he went out among his people. Anyway, you know where we see that the clearest? Just like Jehoshaphat went out among his people, Jesus was in heaven and came down to be among the very people that he created. Just like Jehoshaphat set up a reform in Israel to say, this is how you are to live and judge matters. Jesus set out not just to establish reform to a nation, but to establish reform for our hearts. Just as Jehoshaphat said, this is how I want you to live. Jesus came to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes and follows me then can come to the Father. Jehoshaphat set up these reforms, but ultimately Jesus came to establish a new covenant which gives you and I salvation if we accept it. Jehoshaphat said, you know what, I, I want my nation to change. Jesus says, I want people's hearts to change so that they can know me forever and spend an eternity with me. 
So here's what I want to ask you to do. In the room, I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And, and if you're watching online, I'll ask you to do the same. I want you to take a moment and I want you to ask God to search your heart to see if there is any partiality that should not exist in there, to see if your decisions are guided by fear of the Lord or fear of man. And then ask God, God, I, I want you to change my heart to where I can live as a person of integrity. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, uh, those who are watching at home and, and those who are in the room. And God, we know that we are sinful people marred by the very things that we've chosen to do. God, I ask today that you would reveal in our lives any partiality, any unfairness that we may have. I ask that you would take our, our hearts and if there's part of us that, part of our heart that is not, we're not letting anybody else in and God, we don't even want you to kind of go there. I pray that, that we would open ourselves enough that you would. God, so that we can live this life and we can give people in 2020 true hope because we're following a God who is completely just. And your way is right, and God, we know that. Search us, God. Show us if there's any way in us that must change, and then God, help us to lead and, and live and serve out of the change that you've created in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.